and we'll be with Nux. He's a war boy. He'll be bringing us home, bringing back what's stolen as he's meant to. Yeah. Feels like hope. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. It'll be a hard day, but I guarantee you that 160 days riding that way, there's nothing but Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. <laughs> and I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 89, which begins with Capable reminding everybody that Nux is a war boy. And it ends with Furiosa deciding to go with Max's ludicrous plan. Our guests today know a thing or two about barren wastelands riddled with fire and ash and dust, where the very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. <laughs> It's Norman Mitchell and Cassandra Fredrickson from the Lord of the Rings Minute. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. It was a long walk from Mordor. I'm glad we're here. Mm. One of the details that I missed the first time watching this movie, and it took listening to an interview with one of the storyboard artists, Mark Sexton. It wasn't when he was on our show that I learned this. It was when he was on someone else's show that I learned it. But the general atmosphere outside of the Citadel is so just background radioactive that the dust itself causes your skin to get irritated, mm. which is why the wives were hosing themselves off after the toxic storm. And so the whole very air you breathe, poisonous fume thing, <laughs> very on point for the wasteland here. I don't think that comes across very well in the movie. <laughs> no, it's one of those side details that adds extra flavor to the world but its absence doesn't detract from the overall quality right. of the meal. Yeah, because everyone just looks ordinarily sunbaked. Yeah. <laughs> How the Valkyrie doesn't have, like, all of the skin cancer, I will never know. Oh, my God, I, I know. I mean, she, she probably does. Yeah. <laughs> looks good, though. She's just, she's just a badass. It doesn't matter. <laughs> she has the most, like, action hero outfit of all the Mulini. The outfit transformation that she has from that drab burlap mumu to this crazy like clawed gauntlet feather shoulder thing scarf outfit with the long rifles shooting guys from the back of a motorcycle she has an awesome look to her no matter what she's doing where's my spinoff movie of just valkyrie yeah her outfit reminds me of a dark version of the warrior woman yes just tweak the color scheme from yeah. white to black. Yeah, that's awesome. No, like she looks like she should be on the cover of a post-apocalyptic novel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, arguably all of the Vuvulini are like that. I mean, yeah. It's like a granny biker gang. Like, yes. that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but she also has like the dark hair and her outfit looks more clearly armored than everybody else's. Mm -hmm. She's also significantly younger than everybody else. And taller. Yeah, very much so. And her age, I don't think we ever really addressed it, that she is younger than everybody else. At least she appears to be, and they want us to see her as younger. One of the older women is supposed to be her mother, right? I'm not sure. In one of the scenes where she's standing, I think it's when Furiosa is figuring out that her home doesn't exist anymore. I believe that the woman that she's standing next to is supposed to be her mom and then later on in the movie spoilers i guess when she rides to valhalla 
the woman that she's with, I think she refers to as uh, like Mati or something like. like yeah, mother. she uses the name Maddie. Now, if you're yeah. looking at minute 89, right around four seconds in, it's a shot of Furiosa with all of the Vuvulini and the wives behind her. Maddie is the one at the far right with toast on the back of her motorcycle. Mm. And that's Christina Koch. She doesn't have a lot of lines. Like, I think the first thing we hear from her is when she's talking about how she can't see because they were hit by the war boys and tossed around and everything. Yeah. A swung flail into your chest will do that. It'll smash up your goggles and toss you off a motorcycle. That's a whole other thing altogether. But yeah, some of the Vuvulini, like Melissa Jaffer, probably the oldest of the Vuvulini. She was born in 1936. Megan Gale who plays the Valkyrie, she was born in 1975. So there is a huge mm-hmm. gap that exists yeah. there. Like even some of the younger Vuvulini, like Jillian Jones was born in 47. Joyce Smithers was born in 63. Like they cut a wide swath. 1947? 1947 for Jillian Jones. Holy crap. Yeah. Well, like I said, Melissa Jaffer, 1936. Wow. That's some old ladies just killing people out in the wasteland. <laughs> It's not the kind of role that you'd usually get when you're an older actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I bet they loved it. Oh, absolutely. How could you not? Battle grannies, go. Yeah. <laughs> so Capable, we mentioned at the end of Monday's Minute, said out loud that they are with Nux. And she expands on that today, giving us the context that we were so sorely missing, that he's a war boy, he'll be bringing us home, bringing back what's stolen as he's meant to. And that makes me a little sad that they would go with the more subterfuge route instead of the fighting an army of toddlers route. Uh, I partly agree with you. I think it's a shame that they go back under the guise of being returned by force. Yeah. It's a little disappointing for these themes of freedom and individuality to use the opposite to get what you want. But I mean, it's a Trojan horse, right? Yeah. You've got to trick the dudes on the elevator to let you up. Mm -hmm. And then once you get up to the top of the elevator, you could be like, ha ha, surprise, suckas. You throw all those dudes off. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't fighting the army of toddlers the more toxic masculine route anyway? (laughs) Shouldn't that be the last resort? Yeah. I bet Max has fought some toddlers. <laughs> he has fired guns at children before. Yeah. And punched a, not a child, but a young woman. Yeah. In the face. He was also willing to fire at these women. Mm-hmm. He injured one of them. Yeah, one who was visibly pregnant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he shot a gun at a pregnant woman. Well, okay. He shot in her general direction in a threatening way. He didn't specifically say, oh, look at that pregnant woman. I'm going to shoot her because she is pregnant. He also fired three shots around Furiosa's head. You want tinnitus? This is how you get tinnitus. Right? Max has tinnitus. Oh, he absolutely does. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Like, we've heard it in this movie. (laughs) He he can't hear anything except the voices of the people he couldn't save. (laughs) Maybe that's why he doesn't talk very much. Oh, how funny would it be if the reason that Max did that little wry grin and pointed at the uh, Keeper of the Seeds is because he didn't quite hear what she said. She just kind of looked like she was agreeing with him. So he's like, I don't know what you said, but I think you agreed with me. 
Well, with the hand motions, too. <laughs> Kaboom. He's probably pretty good at reading lips now. Yeah. I kind of wish he went through the whole movie with the crazy beard and hair from the beginning scene. Oh, God, no. Gosh, yes. No. <laughs> this is such a better look. My favorite part of Mad Max movies is when he gets a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Why are the war pups collecting his hair? To use it in stitches. Oh. Yeah, they don't have fine threads, so they just take long hair. Ew. Oh, yes. <laughs> the organic mechanic who the last time we talked about him, he was great name, by the way, ruling over a dead baby. Mm-hmm. But his hair is patchy and he grows it out so that way he can use his own hair to sew up wounds. Great bit of world building. Yeah. You know who else has long hair? The milking mothers. Oh, yeah. I think so. I didn't notice last time. Yeah, they're all buns. They have. Yeah, they have like long hair. And they're no longer part of Joe's harem. Let's put it that way. So they're not as precious as the current set of wives. So who so cares maybe they're what? just growing out and then you lop it all off once it reaches a certain length. Yeah. If it works, it works, right? <sighs> it's resourceful, I guess. <laughs> That's actually one of the like body harvesting things that goes on in the Citadel that I think is a good thing. Is the hair? Is, yeah, using hair as stitches thread. Yeah, but you can't, like, wash the hair. It's, like, gross, and there's probably lice. And just... Well, no, they can wash the hair up in the Citadel. Yeah, they have plenty of water. I wouldn't use Max's hair. He's been wandering in the waste for, like, five years or whatever. Right, it's probably radioactive. Yeah. That's all the more reason to use the hair from the milking mothers. Mm-hmm. They're better cared for. That makes sense. Yeah, they're probably the best cared for people next to the wives. Yeah. In, in some ways, they're probably better cared for. I mean, they're the only overweight people we see. Yeah, yeah and but, they have to have proper nutrition if they're going to keep producing milk. Yeah. Like, that's not to say that you want it's to be horrible. a milking mother, though. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> still, still a horrible situation. The milking mother thing is the thing in the movie that upsets me the most. <laughs> because they are literally just factories for food. And it's horrible. There's a lot of upsetting things that happen to women in this. Yeah. 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 I think that's very safe to say. (laughs) Of the horrible things that happen to women. Yes. We know that rape is happening, but it's never really said explicitly. It's never explored using terminology of rape. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, the milking mothers is. We see exactly what is happening to them. We Mm -hmm. see that they are kept in these chairs attached to machines all the time. I think that does make it a bit more distressing, upfront distressing, than the wives. Yeah, exactly. We know what's happening to the wives, we just don't see it. I think the implication of what happens to the wives, though, is worse because it's not spelled out for mm. us. Like, Yeah, it's the monster you don't see right. versus yeah. the special effect that you do. Right. Yeah. I mean, not everything can be a John Carpenter body horror movie or Cronenberg or whatever. Cronenberg. (laughs) (laughs) Capable mentions Nux would bring us back and everybody in a nice wide shot turns to look back at Nux. And I like how everybody in this group is all turning at once to look back at Nux. And it's just a good thing that Nux was paying attention because everyone's suddenly looking at him and he's sitting there on his motorcycle and he's like, yeah, feels like hope. Instead of sitting there like picking his nose or something like that, because that would be like, pretty embarrassing. Like the kid in class that never pays attention. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is Nux. Sitting in the back of the classroom trying not to be seen. 
Yeah. What? No way. He's such a tryhard. Are you kidding me? Yeah. With he's like senpai noticed me. I'm oh, gonna ride Valhalla. That's you know? true. <laughs> like, I have a confession to make. The last time Rick that we were recording with somebody, I can't remember who we were recording with. That happened to me. You and whoever the guest was went off on some topic and I stopped paying attention. And all of a sudden, Rick, you were like, Julia, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I don't even know what you were talking about. And I have to make something up. I've totally had that happen before when I've been recording. Yep. Now, when we're guests on other people's shows, seriously, that's me like half the time. Half the time. I'm not paying attention. But when it's my own show... Bad. Meanwhile, I'm over here like Julia hasn't said anything in a while. I'm dominating this conversation. I should let her have a chance to talk. <laughs> and it turns into the Barry Gibb talk show. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I agree with everything you've been saying. <laughs> <laughs> at the at the end of last episode, I mentioned that I feel like one of the things about Capable is that she's kind of naive. And I think that this is an example of that. I think it is naive of her to assume that a single war boy will be able to drive them back into the Citadel. But I also see it as her thinking outside the box. Like, it's not a foolproof plan Yeah, that only one war boy would come back with the war rig full of women and Furiosa and a bunch of her cohorts, like, just hiding somewhere ready to spring out like a Trojan horse. It doesn't make sense. But then again... All they've got to do is trick the elevator guards. Mm-hmm. And as long as that elevator starts moving, the Vuvulini can just pop out of the rig, push those guards off the uh, elevator. And then the only person they have to contend with at the top of the elevator is Corpus Colossus. And mm-hmm. not to discount his role in the running of the Citadel too much, but he's not going to be able to physically stop them. No, he's in fact terrified at the thought of toddlers throwing him off that thing. (laughs) Well, I think Nux kind of hits the nail on the head, says it feels like hope. Hope isn't, hey, this plan is going to work. Hope is more like, this plan might work enough that we're going to try it. Yeah, but like... I think that that's this that moment with Nux is actually a really clever little bit of foreshadowing because of what Max tells Furiosa about Hope literally five minutes ago. Right. Yes, very much so. And I also find it interesting, his choice of words. This feels like Hope. Nux doesn't know what Hope is. He doesn't even know what a tree is. <laughs> he just learned this word, like, yesterday. So he's going on these base feelings like... Like we've seen him do in the past, like, oh, this is what it's like to be touched by another human being. And, oh, this is what it's like to be part of a team that's actually trying to accomplish something good. He's experiencing so many new things. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, oh, I feel like there's this feeling in my chest. This feels like hope. Is this what that pretty red girl, redheaded girl was telling me about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be awful if he was just sitting back there saying, oh, well, you know, it's uh, it's with my girlfriend's idea, so I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> I don't know why I keep turning him into a surfer. <laughs> like, I keep just turning him into I feel like Nicholas Holt's about as far from a surfer as I think you can get. Yeah. Yeah, he's British. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's not just British. He is British enough to literally play J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we still have to find a way to go see that. Mm-hmm. He's like uber British. It's British as they come. Yes. With Nux on board, the Keeper of the Seed says that she likes this plan and points out that they can use this to start again 
just like the old days, which the Valkyrie really likes. She throws her arm around the Keeper of the Seeds and kind of pulls her close. And yeah, it's, it's a good idea. And Max has to keep going and talk about, hey, listen, it's not going to be easy. No one ever said that it is going to be easy. Like there's a line back in Beyond Thunderdome that I'm just now thinking of that I have to look up and find. <laughs> While you're doing that, I assume the Valkyrie is not much older than Furiosa. I was thinking about that earlier. I think they are of the same generation. Because mm-hmm. Furiosa must be right around 30. 7,000 days is about 20 years. And she was old enough to remember things about the green place. Mm-hmm. So she was probably somewhere between like 8 and 12. Yeah. I think so. The line that I'm thinking of from Beyond Thunderdome, Savannah is trying to lead people out of the crack in the earth. And she says, nobody's saying it ain't a hard slog. We knows that now. But if we wants the knowing and the doing of things, there ain't no easy ride, which would have been a little out of the blue for Max to say in this context. But if you go for the specific points that he's trying to make, it's essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, there ain't no easy way out. Yeah. And I'm not saying it would have been a good idea to have Savannah next return for this movie, but <laughs> I would have liked it. <laughs> it's like we mentioned back when max was half buried in the sand if savannah nix walks up and she's like oh again <laughs> buried in the sand to get to pull you out again but throwing her into the mix would have totally altered the balance mm-hmm. she just became part of the vuvulini gosh yes well as we know from our talk with mark sexton savannah is currently hanging out in sydney making shady deals with the buzzards to lure in travelers from the wasteland so that the tribe that left with her can steal the goods and the buzzards can steal the flesh to eat because they're cannibals. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like learning that. That's that's not, that's not my favorite lore thing that I've learned Mm -hmm. between season three and four. (laughs) When does the next one of these movies come out? Oh, whenever the legal stuff can get worked out between George Miller and and Warner Brothers, which even though we're recording this in May and releasing it in October, I'm sure it still hasn't been ironed out. Ironed out. <laughs> mm, I'm pretty sure. We have a title for the next movie, right? It's supposed to be Mad Max Wasteland. Yeah, it's supposed to be Wasteland. I suspect that that's a placeholder, but yeah, like a Blue a Harvest good, situation. Yeah, it'd be mm. a good title anyways, yeah. even if it's not. So Max continues saying that it's going to be a hard day. But I guarantee you that 160 days ride in that way, there's nothing but salt. So he must be describing an online comment section. (laughs) Just YouTube. (laughs) Why so salty? (laughs) And so Max continues saying, at least that way, meaning back to the Citadel, you know, we might be able to together come across some sort of redemption. And that's the magic word right there. Because Furiosa was all about finding redemption mm-hmm. by taking the wives from the Citadel and bringing them to the Green Place to live with the Vuvalini. And one of the reasons she was so devastated when she learned that the Green Place wasn't a thing anymore is because that meant no redemption. But now it's redemption time. Just freeing them is redemption, though, Furiosa. That should be the lesson you've learned here. That should be enough for you. Be satisfied. <laughs> you them and brought them to be with people who can help protect them and train them to live out the rest of their Not lives. Not if you've condemned them to a slow death mm-hmm. by salt waste, you know? It's better than what they had. Like, here's 160 a, a, quite days. a margin. Here's 160 days to live out well, in the middle of the how desert. How have the Vuvalini been surviving? 
I don't know. They're badass grannies. I don't question it. <laughs> the Valkyrie's been luring men to that power tower, just standing up there naked, shouting for help. They just kill them and take their stuff. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but my favorite variety of redemption is the Red Dead variety. <laughs> it could be one. It can be two. I like both of those. <laughs> I have not played those. They're enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. I played Gun and Gun 2 way back in the day. That's not as good. There's a video game that's just called Gun. Yes. It's a Wild West like action adventure RPG. There's two of them. That sounds like They're just called a Gun. Parody. Huh? <laughs> it's a parody of itself. Yeah, it, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like calling a game platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or just puzzle. Puzzle. <laughs> Game. Gun. (laughs) (laughs) And gun too. Electric boogaloo. (laughs) So, Julia, do you think that Max mentioning redemption is the thing that tips Furiosa over the edge for this plan? Yes, I do. In Furiosa's mind, this concept of redemption is too strong. She has done so much for these women, and it's not enough. She's looking for more. She's looking to provide them with a viable future. Mm -hmm. So anything less isn't going to cut it. So now we have an opportunity to give them a viable future. So yeah, I think redemption did do the trick for her. Isn't part of this a lie, though? What do you mean? Like, he has no intention of, like, staying. So, like, him saying together isn't really true. Do you mean, like, staying after they've taken the Citadel? The act of taking the Citadel itself is what he's talking about, I think. Yeah, but I don't think Furiosa took it that way. See, I think when he says that we might be able to together come across some redemption, I don't think Max is saying that I am also looking to be redeemed by this action. I think he's saying we might be able to, by working together, Mm -hmm. come across that redemption that you were talking about when it was just the two of us Mm -hmm. awake and everybody else was taking a nap. Yeah. From Furiosa's point of view, it could absolutely be taken either way. Mm. From her point of view, I don't think there's any indication of what he means. We know what he means because we know Max better than she does. Yeah. And we've also seen the rest of the movie. Right. And she hasn't. <laughs> but like, it, like, I guess it's kind of like spoilers, but like Furiosa's reaction at the end of the movie leads me to believe that she thought Max was going to stick around. Hmm. I don't think so. I think because that, she immediately goes to look for him as everyone is celebrating. Well, I, I to counter that, I think that her offer to him of giving him the bike with the food, like she knows that he's probably not going to stay with them. Like she yeah. she extends the the invitation to like, you know, you're welcome mm-hmm. to travel with us. Right. But I think she knows enough about him that he doesn't stick around for very long. Mm. I mean, I guess the I guess the counter to that is if you offer someone this thing, like she offers him the bike mm-hmm. and then you start off going in separate directions and then Max comes, comes back, back yeah. and says, hey, we can do this together. That would lead me to believe as a person that that he intends to stick around because he came back to save you to make sure that you're going to be OK. Julia, do you remember back when we watched Chicken Run? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mel Gibson's character leaves with the radio and the tricycle and he's riding along the road singing about how he's a wanderer and he never settles down and he takes that bike and he turns it around and he goes back for the chickens to help them escape the Tweety's farm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm starting to see a parallel. (laughs) A 
okay. <laughs> I'm actually glad that you brought that up because I was going to make the comment that in any other movie, that would be romantic together. And in Chicken Run, it is a romantic together. The main hen and the Mel Gibson rooster end up together together yeah. at the end of that movie. And in any other movie, that's what this would have been. But I think it's absolutely not. It all stems back when it was supposed to be old man Mel Gibson. It was a romantic thing that when Max says come across some redemption, if it had still been Mel Gibson, if they were making this back in the year 2000, 15 years prior mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to when they released it, it would have been Max finally finding his redemption succeeding in bringing a group of people to their final destination and saving them. Mm -hmm. And he would have stuck around, but because Mel got basically too old to play the part, he was like, I don't want to be swinging around on all this crazy nonsense. I mean, he was also (laughs) off camera insane. Like he did some crazy stuff, but with Tom Hardy stepping into the role and potentially being the face of a new trilogy, They didn't necessarily want to tie him down. They didn't want to start whatever sequel to Fury Road they would make with Max sitting on a couch with one hand stuck into his belt, staring at a busted up TV while Furiosa comes into the room like, Max, why don't you do anything anymore? You got to take out the garbage. Oh, my God. (laughs) They don't want it to be some sort of weird married with children situation. Or like start a sequel with destroying the Citadel. Yeah. Or like start a sequel with Max saying, I'm just going to go out and get some cigarettes and then just never coming back. Oh, no. See, I don't even I don't even take this as like her expecting it to be like a romantic together. No, no, no. Like, I just think that the way that this is all put together, Furiosa takes this as Max is going to stick around. And earlier when... They meet the Vuvulini and who are the men? She says they're reliable. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's the only way she describes them. I think that Furiosa reads this conversation as like they might all die. So like the act of resistance is her redemption. Mm -hmm. Like together, like they work, they work better together anyway. Cause she, yeah. When he's a gun stand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Drives the wraith. Yeah. He drives yeah. the ring out of the canyon. And then Nux is the best driver of the three of them. Right, because he knows what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, that is literally all he does. He drives and he fixes engines. Yep, that's it. it that's That would be his catchphrase, like Tyrion Lannister, I drink and I know things. <laughs> yeah. I drive and I fix things. That's it. So Max holds out his hand to Furiosa, waiting for her to approve of this plan. And I'm a little bummed out that he didn't spit in his hand first because that's how you do deals in the wasteland. We saw that back in Thunderdome. Mm. Well, that's like little rascals, eight year old boy making yeah. a, making a bond thing. <laughs> you bring your pelts to barter town. You put them on the table. You get your sack of grain or your hour with a woman. You spit in your hand. You shake it with the collector. And Max, when he made that deal with auntie, he spit in his hand. She spit in her hand and they shook on it. I'm a little bummed out that he didn't do that. You know, spit in his hand, hold it out. So that she could spit in her hand and make the deal like that itself is like an act of like an enduring bond too, like the way they hold hands there. Yeah, I like how he just kind of holds it out. Every instance of someone spitting on someone, though, in this movie is negative. Yeah. So I think that would have been confusing if they like sealed the deal with like spit. And, yeah. And Furios has already been spit on by Nux. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can keep the spitting to a minimum. Right. 
while four women are trying to tie him up. <laughs> he's just like, no, no. He's like a feral cat. He is. But <laughs> <laughs> he's hyped up on Max's crazy blood. <laughs> Have you talked to your war boys about hopped up crazy adrenaline blood? If you don't, who will? Do you know where your war boys are? <laughs> they certainly lost track of this one. Oh, mm-hmm. Max's Nux's catnip. Yep. <laughs> I, I like that they their names have the same number of letters and end in the same sound. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Nux is heading down a path where he could become like Max. Maybe. Just needs a tragedy. His little surrogate boy. Yeah. His three sons, Nux, Larry, and Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I do really like the score in this moment with Max and Furiosa. I did just want to quickly say when the waiting for the handhold to happen. I do really like the score in that moment. Well, Furiosa, she clasps Max by the hand and Max nods reassuringly. And basically the run back to the Citadel is decided on. It is the course of action that we are going to follow through the rest of this movie. And in the final little snippet of a second... These are 24 frame seconds, and in the last 12 frames, we get a quick snapshot of Joe. So he is the person that we are going to be picking up with when we come back on Friday. We're going to put a pin in the minute so far, so you can look forward to the war rig being spotted by the war party. You can look forward to the people eater wondering why they're going back, and we get to see Immortan Joe piece together that plan and almost immediately figure out what the heck is going on. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us from an 89 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>